This is Connor. This is Paul. This is Brian. And welcome to, to Silver, Silver Screamers. <laughs> your genre-cumbering, decade-batching film podcast. It feels like five years in space. God help me. <laughs> Feels like five years in space, God help me. I added it, it feels. This is a reflection of how you think about Star Trek season as a whole, Paul. I haven't convinced you yet that Star Trek is as awesome as I know myself and Brian think it is. I love your optimism, yet. Yes. Okay, so we have a guest. Star Trek season has been very guest heavy. Uh, and we have our final guest for Star Trek season, in our final episode of Star Trek season, our dear friend Brian. Hi, Brian. Hello. <laughs> okay, you can talk more than that, Brian, seriously. <laughs> How are you? Did you have a nice day? Yes, we had a lovely day. Okay, and good. More so now because you're here. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm just like delighted to and I cannot wait to just rip into this film just oh, to see the look on. on your face <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did oh no I do I, it, I enjoy it because it's one of those films that it's fun but I have major issues many, with many problems a little bit like uh, you know X-Men Last Stand yeah a decent film a decent film but mm-hmm. so much wrong with it yeah, I think this is from, from a fan perspective that it's just wrong but it's still fun well now hold on a second because the reason star trek season has been so guest heavy is because <laughs> i need allies i am i am i okay sorry over okay here to convince him that star trek is awesome i think to be fair i don't think i have been hating on any of them i just it's a it's just a lot of meh Star Trek Nemesis <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it was like dragging nails out of something you were like you were putting that off for a long time doing that podcast because we we normally try and aim for two every two weeks there was a technical issue with Star Trek Nemesis and then it was like let's leave it for a month <laughs> and then come back to it yeah in fairness though I usually have like a creative thing happening that my brain my, I'm very much like I have a project you know a little bit and in the last couple of months I've been focusing on my writing a lot so the podcast is and also it didn't hurt it, it didn't help that it was Star Trek season in fairness so I've been content I'd probably be the one who's like oh we better record this weekend well this time you'd asked a few times and I was like yeah this weekend <laughs> but we're here it's the final episode the final frontier you might say oh and, oh, Jesus uh, Christ but before before we kind of go to it's not that movie it's not that movie is that not just a Star Trek thing uh, there is a Star Trek Star Trek 5 the final frontier I just thought it was I just thought it was a generic Star Trek thing. Anyway, um, oh, before geez. we get into Star Trek, uh, let's we, we kind of like to introduce our guest uh, and kind of get our, our many many listeners may, uh, may not be well they are Adrina does know you Yvonne knows you but uh, <laughs> just in case <laughs> our two listeners but uh, just in case there is anyone out there we did get a couple of likes on our pod, uh, Instagram a couple of new people liking our page that are like Star Trek pages so there might be some people who don't who don't actually know us listening. Star Trek is a big subculture. We need to exploit that shit. We need to get there the, are those people. So many channels on YouTube yeah. just dedicated to 
Here's the history of the Borg in five minutes. I love those channels. I, I, I actually do. It's like, if I can't sleep at night, I just like, you know, look up the history of the Kardashians. Not the Kardashians. <laughs> is that an alien race on Star Trek? Kar- I'm, I'm it's the Kardashians. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's really funny. I thought that was, I didn't get that. Um, I just thought you were just calling the Kardashians aliens. Oh, They're the kind of lizardy ones. Oh, there's from... definitely a parody there somewhere. What's the Kardashian show called? The, I know it's, Keeping, up with, keeping up with the that would be a great podcast name for a Star Trek thing is keeping up with the Cardassians. Cardassians. You know that uh, I'm thinking that you know Star Trek Lower Decks, the cartoon. Oh, I don't really watch the cartoons. Now, oh, I actually, I, I, it's, I, it, there's just so many things that are just dropped in from every bit of Star Trek lore. It's hilarious, yeah. and I'm, I'm guessing at some point there will be a Cardassian, Cardassians joke <laughs> thrown in there. Yeah, I'm sure that the pun has been made, I'm sure. But anyway, before we get into Star Trek, let's learn a bit more about Brian. Spotlight, spotlight on do, you, Brian. Do we have to? Okay, fair so enough. So, right. you were born in 1932. I was, yes, yeah. <laughs> to a shoemaker so, on the Isle of Wight. So tell us uh, a bit about uh, your love affair with movies. What kind of movies do you like? What are you generally drawn to? I have the worst taste in movies of all time because I always say watch everything because then you don't know what the difference is between what's good and what's bad. That's an interesting philosophy. Yeah. So you should always watch bad movies. We watch I mean, a lot of. Yeah. I, I, I like, I enjoy watching shite movies as well. But okay. Like, okay. You've been told you're going to be in a jail cell and there's a DVD player and you can bring three DVDs that you can watch over and over. What will they be? Well, I wouldn't bring The Beast Must Die because I remember showing you that once and you literally were about to kick me in the face. Well, in fairness though, so yeah, years ago we went, there was this old DVD <laughs> store and that's no longer there, Laser. Laser, yeah. And they, they sold DVDs, but they also rented them and they would have these really old films that would have had tiny releases like in the 70s. So they weren't even hits back then. like. I don't even know if you could call them cult classics. I don't even know if they had a, a big enough following for cult. But they had like these horror films that were like Hammer. And there was one film that we watched together. What was it called? The, the Beast Must Die. The Beast Must Die. And it was, it was kind of a murder mystery film where a werewolf, where the murderer was a werewolf. But, and you didn't know who it was like, you know, all the guests at the house. Who's the werewolf? And then about, you know, two thirds of the way into it, it the, the film stopped. And it was just a, a photograph of a wolf. Oh, it was a clock. It was a clock with yeah. ticking. And it would say, do you know who the wolf is? And then it literally was like in the countdown thing with the tick, tick, tick. Just yeah. a minute of a clock mm. going tick, mm. tick, 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 where you were meant to sit there and be like, who is the wolf? Oh, it was like a kind of conceptual or something. Yeah, but it didn't... The film wasn't arty enough. Oh no! It was, it was. It was. I. I don't even know how to explain what it was. We did see a, a glimpse of the wolf at one point, but it was literally a dog was, with like with a bit of a rug thrown over it, running through a hedge. I think it was just a husky. I don't even think it had a rug. <laughs> I think it was just. A, was it like it was like a, a second assistant director's idea that the director said just give that just throw it in? It's a shit movie anyway. Who cares? I think maybe they just needed to up the runtime. I don't know. Is that is that the film? Why a minute? <laughs> is that the film that you're bringing to this cell? The beast must die. 
No, he's a nut. Oh, okay, okay, okay. This could take a while to name all the films that you're not. Going okay, to. right, right. We'll, we'll we'll get back to we'll get back to my my love affair with bad movies. Um, you know, a film that you'd watch over and over. Um. Okay, so my favorite film of all time would probably be Halloween. The original okay, Halloween. That's, that's a that is a Silver Screamers yeah. favorite that we've watched. Yeah, it's about fifteen minutes, I believe. Yeah, around there. That would probably be one of my kind of favorite films. Not a fam- fa- favorite, but anyway, yeah, go on. Up there with that is. Wait a minute before. Okay, why why Halloween? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it was probably because it was like the original slasher film. There's like a sense of tension and fear. That kind of permeates the movie. Yeah. And it's set at a time where people, bad things didn't happen to people in suburbia who were nice and white and setting the tone for every movie since then of being like, you know, I'm the good girl and I don't drink and I don't have sex. And there's, there's been a resurgence recently of uh, horror movies and I'm thinking of It Follows predominantly, but there are other ones as well where they've kind of stylized it in this 70s, 80s you know, and that kind of music and that tension that builds up in yes. those kind of era of, of slasher movies. Yeah. And it, it's, it is actually probably, I think, like a lot of slashers in the 90s and 2000s, you're kind of like, oh, God, rubbish. But it's kind of going back to that kind of slasher roots now. I still love them, though. Even with the Fair Street, they had literally one of the, the three. Have you seen the three Fair Street films? Oh, yes, I did, yeah. I the, quite like those. There's one that's set in the 70s that is literally a love letter to... Yeah. Friday the 13th I actually think it's better than I don't really like Friday the 13th as a franchise the first film Friday the 13th is my least favourite of all of them because Jason Voorhees isn't even in it yeah we saw which ones I think we saw three. Oh god three in 3D and we saw all of them oh, okay. there's three it was like uh, yeah, no, Friday the 13th part three in 3D no, and it's just 3D. like, like old, 3D. old 3D there's like at the beginning of it there's like somebody trying to pull up like a washing line and they have a pole and they're like waving the pole in the camera Woo! it's oh god <laughs> it's so bad um, okay so Halloween what else um, <clears throat> okay this one may be controversial uh, Aeroplane 2 the sequel is oh, honest yeah. to god one of my favourite films of all time no Aeroplane's great yeah no the second one Leslie yeah. Nielsen? The second one is the one where they're on a shuttle to the moon. Is that Don't and, Call Me Shirley? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the Don't Call Me Shirley is like in both of them. Oh, okay. But this one is the one where, the second one is the one where um, uh, William Shatner actually oh, as yeah. the moon base commander. And yeah, that second film just gets me every time. The spoof films were great at a very short period of time and then they kind of came back in the noughties and they were awful like the scary movies the day yes. movies, the epic movie and it's been a while since there's been a good I think Austin Powers is probably the last good spoof movie mm. has there been another one? I, would, I don't know what you call the hangover movie spoof probably not no um, it would have been those like not another teen movie oh, like that even Chris yeah, Evans would have been yeah. in yeah, yeah. Because it wouldn't even have been a big fan of the scary movie franchise, to be honest. There was no. a few, few good the first laughs. One, I think, because there hadn't been something like that for so long, it, um, it kind of worked, but no, it lost mm. its way. I actually think I prefer the second one. Was it the one with the "Take my strong hand, child"? Oh that my one. god, that bit was actually ridiculously funny. I think they were pretty much propped up 
because of your Juan Ferris, who is the lead in it. What's her name? I think it's her who really kind of like propped up those movies. And if you hadn't had somebody like that, her who was just funny and stuff, whatever you give up her script, probably would have fallen on its face completely, you know. But that's like every second Wayne's Brothers movie. I don't even know how they're allowed to make movies. (laughs) White chicks. Yay. Uh, okay, so you got Halloween, you got Airplane 2. Okay, a bit of variety here. What's film number three? Film number three. Okay, I'll go on out on a limb, and it's one that I adore, but I've only ever seen twice. Second time, I had to rewatch it. I kind of forced myself to rewatch it, but it's Requiem for a Dream. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my god, how could you watch that a second time? I felt empty for days after that. That's how that's why it's like it literally took me years to build up the energy to be able to watch that film again. But it is honest to God one of like it is to me it is a fantastic, incredible oh, oh, it's film. It's a fantastic film, but I I mean I just felt oh I felt yeah. low for days. And poor Ellen Bergstein, Jesus, she must have been put through the ringer trying to get that performance out of her and they didn't even give her an oscar she got a she nomination she Julia got it roberts yeah she did get a nomination she did but uh, it was only for um did she not get a nomination for best supporting it wasn't or, or no, was it for no, it was best, best okay yeah i mean you could have argued that was she probably would have got it had they given her supporting because you could argue there isn't a lead character in that it's kind of a, a large ensemble yeah um, yeah, like the film. Every it's just all four characters. Just it, it's horrible. Possibly awful things happen to them. It's hard to know which is the worst. I actually think the scene with Jennifer. Oh, that scene, which shall not be spoken about. Ass that's to ass. yeah. Oh, it's awful. It is terrifying. That well, that actually that is the one scene in it that I find the most terrifying out of all of them. Yeah, I think so. I think I've actually suppressed that movie in my brain because I actually can't exactly remember what happens in it I just remember how it made me feel and therefore I think my brain has just (laughs) decided you can't remember this anymore because it's too awful it's Mm. it's a funny film because when it was released it was it was controversial because it's so awful and a lot of parents complained and stuff and then a lot of people were saying, what are you talking about? Any teenager who sees this will never touch drugs. This is the most anti-drugs film you could have. And then a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't ban it from my teenagers. I saw that when we had moved to Kalukan. Remember, we used to spend two nights a week in Dublin when we first moved to Kalukan. And it's quite a short film. It's only 90 minutes long and it was on Netflix. And there was one night I was home alone. I wouldn't usually watch a film on my own, but I was flicking through and I saw, and I was like, oh, Requiem for a Dream. That's like a famous film that I've never seen. And it's only 90 minutes. Great. I'll sit here and watch this on my own on a rainy November Wednesday. And I think I like text you later. I was like, (laughs) I was like in my parents' house, you know, in bed watching a movie or something. And I got this text going, I think I'm dying. Help me. <laughs> It'd be like, the response is like, don't worry, just go ass to ass. It's all good. <laughs> I, saw, I actually listened to a podcast on that film after I'd seen it. Because even though I didn't, I didn't like it, I, I don't like it. But it is fast, I'm fast, I find it a fascinating film. And when I listened to the podcast, they, this was the, the guys went to see in the cinema when it first came out and one of the things about that film is the music is fantastic it's yes yes soundtrack. and it is in- incredibly there's a lot of of the more aggressive scenes that have an aggressive 
soundtrack like uh, the music is very aggressive yeah during because you know the way there's certain clips that they're very like quick and shuddering and uh, oh, yeah. yeah like it's the music fits the anxiety of the scene yeah. and the way yeah, it's yeah, shot yeah. but on this podcast they said that when they went to the cinema to see it um, it was like a midweek showing at like maybe two in the afternoon so the, the cinema was mostly empty but towards the front there was a group of like four older ladies and they sat at the front and this guy was like what are they <laughs> why are they going to see Requiem for a Dream and when the film ended the like ladies were like walking out like <laughs> and he went over and he was like are you okay and they were like oh I'm, I'm a bit upset after that we weren't expecting that and he said like why why do you mind me asking why did you why did you come and they were like oh we we love chamber music <laughs> and we're in a chamber music club and oh we, we read that this was a very important film for chamber music and that the soundtrack was great so we came to see it for the music <laughs> and the guy was like oh yeah they should have put it out they should have told you <laughs> I, I thought for a second that you may have gone down the route of uh, that story that I told you years ago when I was working in Chicago and we had Blair Witch Project on and we had to throw out a guy for masturbating to the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. I know. Did I ever tell you that? There's nothing nothing even remotely erotic in that film. It's not even getting turned on by And it was a young guy. It was like a guy literally no older than myself, like maybe 20, 21. Was he like really into snot or something? Like it was literally, like we were all in shock. It was just like, what? the fuck because he came out and I went to stop him and he ran by me because I was kind of like in my head that couldn't be him could it um, but yeah then the cops he was going to masturbate in front of any movie then I mean, it wasn't the movie it was just the idea of masturbating in the cinema well in fairness now um, Eyes Wide Shut was playing <laughs> fairness to him Eyes Wide Shut was playing in, in the screen next door and I think there's a lot more excitement and stuff going on in that now rather than cameras and snot in the woods why am i defending him you sound like an irish mammy now i think in fairness now there's a lot more going on in in eyes wide shut he's just he's not he doesn't approve of this guy but brian you're just not kink shaming him like if he gets his rocks off to the bear witch project as long as he does it at home yes in his own time yeah yes it's no passion of saint tiberius or whatever it was from father ted um Okay, so there are your, th- your films that you, you love. What about a film that you really like that everyone else hates? And if you, you say you like bad movies, so... Oh, you know what? There is one, and it was a Disney one that completely flopped, and everybody hated it. Oh, uh, The Last Mimsy. <laughs> okay. Exactly, nobody ever even heard of it. The Last Mimsy. The Last Mimsy, and I think I will leave it at that on that one, because okay. it was literally like, I found it very cute and very hopeful. It's kind of hard to explain. What year is it? Oh, God. Um, so two kids in the present find a robot AI bunny doll from the future <laughs> who comes back to the past and gives them powers through magical geometric mandalas. Oh, this is 2007. Yeah. This isn't that old. And then, like, the government are like, oh, there's a scary future robot bunny <laughs> on the loose. Gotta get those kids. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how to explain it. it oh, and then at the bizarre, end of it... But it also seems like something that I'd be interested in watching. And then at the end of it, it's the, the, the robot was sent back from the future that was dying and it had to get sufficient samples of DNA 
from before the earth became polluted and that's what it was purpose was to come back and collect stuff and then fuck off back to the future and then at the end they're like oh and that's why the world is a utopian paradise now and there's all these kids floating around on a mountain singing the sound of music I think we should put this on our list to, uh, to watch Paul it's Julia Richardson I yeah it's the ma what, what does it have on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> 3% One, 3% that's that's just generous I'd say <laughs> so tell us now okay so that's your movie that you love that everybody else apparently hates although may not have heard of um, yeah and yeah I'm not sure it really counts because like nobody actually saw it <laughs> I love it and there's one person that hates it and that's all that's in it's a cute bunny and it's a cute not, little girl it's not bad 55% on Rotten Tomatoes I mean well, that's okay so half of critics like it hmm. So, what is your... Internet critics now, in fairness. So, um, yeah. Now, it's 55% critics, 59% of audiences. So, about one in two people like it. Okay. So, what is your film that you hate that everybody seems to like? Suspiria. You hate that? I hate, I hate that, that and I hate Dario Argento with a fucking passion. Is that the original that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, I... I like Suspiria, but I can understand how it's not friendly. Because it's shite. shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think, it's, I think it, it, it captures a certain nightmare. I think it captures the experience of being in a nightmare very well. Um, I think Dario Argento, to me, is like if somebody actually thought Ed Wood could make a movie and gave him the money to do it. <laughs> Repeatedly for it's, 40 years. It's a movie that didn't make a lot of sense to me and I didn't really enjoy it at all. And I didn't really... Yeah, I, did, I didn't really get it. But maybe that's me. I just think it's bad, it badly executed. Bad continuity. At every bad, level. Yeah, it's not... And it's I, like, I, I like the, the idea. I know, I, I think I know what he's trying to get at. But he's actually not failing. At it. Yeah, but he's actually not good enough to be able to achieve that. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, maybe that's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think he's more successful as a cinematographer, maybe than a, as a film. Because did he write the script for that as well? I think he writes it. all of his stuff. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. I think, and he's a little bit like Nigel Shalaman, like that. That like Shalaman writes all of his stuff. Yeah. So right. that's why it always ends up flopping. <laughs> uh, have you seen the remake of Suspiria? I did, and I think I actually preferred it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I still don't think it's perfect. <laughs> Tilda Swinton can carry a movie. Yeah, you know the the cast was great. Dakota Johnson was in it; she was great as well. I just it got a little. There was some the script I think could have been ironed out a bit better, but I liked what they were doing, and I think they were opening up a kind of a lore. And had I don't think it did very well. I think had it done well sequels would have been interesting but, um, yeah because I think the original Suspiria movie was part of a kind of a trilogy that he made about these like uh, the, like the weird sisters or something yeah we, we did a Suspiria episode oh yeah no I, I no, I did, did listen to that one um, oh did you talk about that the trilogy thing in yeah that? but I think I don't think he wrote them as a trilogy I think he he wrote Suspiria and then he there, there meant to be three mothers the mother of tears the mother of sorrow and the mother of sighs or something and yeah, he that's then the, went yeah. back and kind of made films about the other two, uh, which is in this kind of coven, but they weren't connected. They were kind of the same universe. But I think the idea for the remake was to make a more 
a trilogy that had that, that, that tied into itself more. Okay. Uh, but I just I don't think it did well enough. So yeah, it's pretty. Anyway, uh, Con, what, what what are we actually listening to? Mm, I don't even know at this point. Uh, you're listening to Silver Screamers. Silver Screamers is our film podcast where we pick a theme or genre and dissect four films in that theme or genre from different decades. And this week we're covering Star Trek Into Darkness from our Star Trek series, and we have our lovely guest host Brian Lennon. Yay. You always saying that in a creepy way. It's like, like I am, like, like, uh, because Brian is actually Star Trek. Because Brian, Brian is, is Star here Trek to help me in our final episode. Finally, convince Paul that this was a worthwhile and enjoyable series, which was well picked by me. Has <laughs> it worked, Paul? Oh my God! I let's do Star Trek season two. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. Yeah, you can do a review of all the TV shows. Uh, there's lots more movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know, during the week, I was trying to see if the, the origins of the word nerd, because I was trying to think, like, what would someone have called a very nerdy person in, like, the 1920s? Because I think nerd is a new word, like, a relatively modern word, and I was trying to find it. So I googled nerd cinnamon. And the fourth one was Trekkie. <laughs> now, there's... So, Trekker, Trekkie. There's, there's this whole thing, because people call people who are fans of Star Trek Trekkies. Yeah. But that's actually derogatory. It should be Trekker. And there was a, there was a whole distinction previously, but I think now it's just derogatory. But a Trekker was somebody who enjoyed Star Trek, a Trekkie was somebody who like really got into the sort of nitty gritty science mumbo jumbo of Star Trek. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling quite triggered by the use of that word, and I think I need to go to my um my safe space. Okay, you're doing great stuff for the Star Trek community. I just said <coughs> it's all about diversity these days. That's it. We're 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 correcting this. We're, you know, we're being politically correct in our Trekker lingo. But like, even right, okay, say from. From like a weird historical perspective, the whole idea of Uhuru being in Star Trek originally and she wasn't going to take the part and Martin Luther King literally ran her up saying you have to do this. And then they had the first kind of like, you know, interracial kiss on TV in the 60s and you have people even like Whoopi Goldberg saying... Uh, like going crazy when she saw a black woman on the TV and realizing that she could do things like yeah. it's culturally significant. She like, and it may not we may not understand it being from like whitey McQuaters in country, but like it was very culturally significant from I, the get go. I think we were listening to something recently, or maybe I was. I don't know if you were there, but um, Mopi Goldberg was re- re- recounting that that story where she saw Star Trek as a kid she realised wow black people are now on TV they're mainstream they're having kisses with white people it's incredible and when Star Trek The Next Generation came around she was friends with LeVar Burton who played Geordie LaForge and she said get me on that show I'll do it and she was big at that stage like she had done it she she was Oscar winning Mm. at that stage and uh, LeVar Burton went to the heads of Star Trek, I guess Gene Roddenberry, and said, Whoopi Goldberg is interested in having a part in this. And he was like, fuck off. 
and <laughs> like t- not like I'm not having her fuck off we'll take over no I said fuck for a second that's why I was silent for a second I just went silent it was like did they mean that they no. were like no fuck off we don't want her no, or they didn't believe him my yeah they didn't believe him they, they, they said Oscar winner Whoopi Goldberg does not want to be on our little Star Trek show here we're rebooting it it could flop she doesn't want to be on this and uh he was persistent and said, look, here to Whoopi Goldberg, here's Gene Roddenberry's phone number. Call him yourself. And she called him and said, this is Whoopi Goldberg. I want to be in Star Trek. And it went from there. <coughs> and I believe, what's her character's name? Guinan. Guinan. I believe Guinan is the last character that he actually wrote. Oh, he actually. Specifically for her. But I think he died. Like she, he was, she, that, Guinan was the last character he created before he died. I, that rings a bell, actually, yeah. So, Star Trek, you've always liked Star Trek, obviously. Well, I was always a big science nerd, anyway. But I always really liked, like, the 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 Vulcans. I always loved Spock. Spock would have been, my, like, my hero, because he was, like, Mr. Science. And then, when you get into, like, you know, the later shows, you have, like, people like Data, who are, like, you know, the super science people. And then, like, the trill in Deep Space Nine, then, because, again, they were, like, the super science people. And it's, like, it's just one of those things that always kind of, like dragged me into it and it's a really hopeful show like about like how great things could be if we could just get over our own shit that was really the, you know that was always the ethos of star trek it yeah. was like we are so small and insignificant in the context of the universe and once we realize that all this stuff stops happening goes away poverty and war and disease and yeah. we realize that we're one people in this you know, galaxy of lots of different species, and we're not very special at all. So we better get get our shit together and you know support each other in that. Yeah, yeah, I like, I, yeah, I really I like that hopeful message. Always, I, it actually always cheers me up. Always cheers me up. And one of the things about Star Trek, I think, you know, because you were saying that there's, it's, you know, you love the science of it all. A lot of modern day technology has been, to some degree, influenced by Star Trek, and it's been oh, that's an interesting concept. Let's see if we can actually do that. And and that actually probably as well comes from the fact that like you have like gazillions of kids worldwide who got into science because of Star Trek, which is probably why I got into science and became a scientist, you know? Science, boom. Can you give me an example of something that was invented because of Star Trek? iPads. Well, there you go. Yeah, that wasn't me being smart. That was me being curious. I feel like you were like, I've had. <laughs> that was like really, sorry, that, that wasn't prepared. Like, I've been waiting to say this for years. <laughs> well, touchscreen, voice control. Uh, they are now able to teleport a particle of light across a table, which is very unimpressive. Does it like, do but this? Also impressive at the same time. Does it go like this? <laughs> And the, the, the lights come down and it changes every season. <laughs> that was um, actually, communicators rec- are mobile phones. Oh, there you go. Uh, I've heard recently that they, instead of needles for vaccinations and injections, they're looking at um, high pressure water, which penetrates the skin, which doesn't, it, it doesn't go into your flesh, but it penetrates the skin enough that the vaccine or whatever is going to be delivered, which is kind of like a hypo spray in Star Trek. Um, so lots of different things. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of um, different versions of warp drive. Like there's there's a thing called the Al Cooperary uh, faster than light drive, which was developed in the 90s, but is 
probably unrealistic but there's lots of different kind of theories about how you might travel faster than life and all this kind of stuff so yeah cool in your face this this, this is a genuine question of curiosity iPads I wasn't like (laughs) I wasn't like yeah right like yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So this we we've covered Wrath of Khan, which was the a original cast, and we did two of the Picard films with Nemesis and First Contact. Yeah. So this is the the only film we'll do with the kind of the reboot cast, which has Chris Pine as Kirk and. Zachary Quinto as Spock and Carl Urban as McCoy and Zoe Zaldana as Ahura and yeah and Simon Pegg and, and, and Scotty and so on and so forth and poor Anton Yelchin I know because there's actually quite a sad scene in the movie that I only noticed because you know the way he's like the pilot or whatever like Khan Chekhov and he's wearing a yellow shirt and then Scotty goes yeah so um, Kirk goes up to him and goes oh well you know you're going to be chief engineer now because put on a red shirt and all y'all know what happens to people who put on red shirts in Star Trek they die, they oh, die. I know yeah he did he was in the last movie in Star Trek Beyond uh, and I think at the start at the end it said for Anton because he god it was such a random way to die he he got he, he, he drove a jeep or something like and uh got out of his car and went to put the code in his gate to open his gate and the car he didn't put it in the handbrake on properly and it crushed him yeah that was such a random way to die yeah really really like 27 or something yeah yeah because one of the guards I used to work with actually met him out in Dublin one night and your man um, McLovin you know the McLovin guy oh yeah yeah met him and Anton Chekhov or his name is met him in Temple Bar out one night and she was there with the boyfriend going like, oh, and they just end up chatting to him and then ended up in the absolute Raz through Dublin <laughs> for the night. Just random situation, you know, and she was like, such, such nice guys, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so this is our first and last movie of the new crew reimagining J.J. Abrams' reimagining of Star Trek. Which is the probably, I don't know, maybe the first one was better. I don't know. The the first two were great. The third one was not great. Yeah, I saw the first one in the cinema and I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Never saw this. And then you and I saw the third one. Though we were, I think, if I remember, we were quite late. And we missed the first 20 minutes or something. But I did not care for the third one. And it makes me really sad because Simon Pegg did that one. And he's a huge fan. Uh, well, look, before we get into this film, do you want to do the synopsis so this no. is traditionally the guest does the synopsis now Brian I said this to you beforehand and this has been a running theme throughout the Star Trek series since episode 2 my brother was told to, to summarise first contract in 2 minutes and 40 seconds and it went on for 15 minutes okay Jer did a great synopsis 2 minutes 40 on the dot I we kind of did a synopsis of Nemesis which it was okay around two minutes 40 bernard 15 minutes so anything <clears throat> under 15 minutes would be great <laughs> yeah, let's, no we're gonna be straight yeah okay so straight two, two minutes, minutes and 40 seconds uh well in in the immortal words of chief o'brien a jesus bollocks red alert uh right set timer for two minutes and 40 seconds go right 
starts up in London, big explosion. Then we go to another planet, a volcano, volcano, big explosion. Then we go to Starfleet headquarters, another big explosion. Then we go to uh, Kronos. <laughs> Okay, yeah, 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 go on now. We have to, who's, who's in these explosions? There's, you know, lots of, lots of things going on. Lots of people exploding. It's like, it's not like, what do you want me to name everybody who exploded? No, but I kind of... Right, so in the meeting at Starfleet headquarters, which is actually the next explosion, um, let me see, Admiral Marcus is there. Um, who's your man? Admiral Pike. He's there. I think we've gone a whole different um, direction now. Uh, Kirk is there, and oh, also I it. Just tells uh, the Spock is there, and, uh, and there was a cleaning lady in the back. We're I'm not her- looking for a fucking roll call. Okay, fair enough. Right. So then, after Starfleet headquarters, <laughs> up, they go to Kronos, and then uh, there's no specific explosion on Kronos. It's just that there is a moon that has exploded at some point. Which might be Praxis. Maybe Praxis. I think it could be um, in whatever Kelvin universe of bullshit references. Um, right, so then uh, that explodes. Well, why uh, are they going to Kronos? Uh, <laughs> good fucking question. I will get into that later on. <laughs> in my, this is the list of flaws in this movie. Um, right, next we go to, right, Enterprise. Enterprise explodes. Uh, not completely What's explodes. The the, the Starship Enterprise. What do you know? Fucking Enterprise uh, car rental. What? The, what did you think? <laughs> All right, the USS Enterprise. It kind of half explodes. Right. Then the USS Vengeance. It kind of half explodes. Then the Enterprise kind of half explodes again. Then the Vengeance completely destroys. Then the Enterprise destroys. Then the Enterprise explodes into San Francisco and then San Francisco explodes um, and then at the end of it all they stick that fucker um, and his mates in a warehouse fucker, sorry? Uh, your man bad guy they stick can in a freezer and put him in a warehouse and that's okay so there's 30 seconds left so basically what happens is uh, Admiral Marcus uh, takes can out of freezing to help fight the Klingons then uh he turns on Marcus, the Enterprise is sent to kill Khan because he, he killed a load of people and then uh, Khan has built a big ship, the big ship comes and shoots at the Enterprise and they're like oh fucking shit, what the fuck they transport over 72 other people into his ship the 72 fucking da, the torpedoes explode and then Khan's ship explodes and then it goes into San Francisco and he's like Khan! Because Kirk dies and then Spock has to go and get can to save Kirk and that's about it that yeah that's kind of pretty much what disaster. I said <laughs> boys that's what I said except you just said it with less explosions <laughs> and I think and I think a triple did explode at the end of it as well oh the triple didn't explode but I thought it was a nice reference okay I am honestly more confused now than when I saw the film <laughs> very confused well just ignore me and just go how you said Okay, I... <laughs> I don't know what to say. Right, so, so where do we go from here? <laughs> um, I thought this was a popcorn, smashy, ex- explodey film that while I was watching it, I was entertained. I looked at my watch about the two-thirds way through and kind of went, wouldn't mind if this bad boy wrapped up now. And then it went on and then it ended and I went, okay. And then I haven't thought about it until now. I think it's forgettable. I would totally disagree with that. Now, I don't think the movie was perfect. 
I don't think it was... I, I think it was a bit of a cheap shot to take the second movie of a reboot as being can. But I thought it explored this new world leading on from the first movie, this new timeline that had been created, um, and explored the differences of the new crew very nicely. I thought it explored the rambunctiousness of Captain Kirk at the start. It explored... Uh, that himself and Spock had become great friends, but still didn't really understand each other. It looked at the emerging conflict with the Klingons, which would have been a new threat at the time. It looked at uh, Kirk's relationship uh, and this kind of father figure that he found with uh, Captain Pike. It looked at themes like vengeance and then coming through that and understanding that that wasn't the right way to go. Uh, It introduced Khan, which I think Benedict Cumberbatch played excellently as this really super soldier kind of guy. It had awesome action scenes, lots of explosions, as we heard. Um, And all around, I thought it was a really, really strong second movie for a reboot. Boom. Mic drop. You just listed what it was and said that was awesome. But uh, you see, I don't think... Like, there was nothing about the baddies that you kind of gave a shit about. I couldn't agree more. Like, you're looking at Admiral Marcus and you're like, I couldn't give a shit, I don't like you. There's no redeeming kind of, like, qualities there. You don't want to like him. You're kind of not interested. The charm with the original Khan was that he had a kind of, like, a hypnotic allure and he wasn't 100% robotic and just super intelligent. And I think that the way that it was played with Cumberbatch was like, oh, I'm intelligent. So that means I'm technically intelligent and I can do lots of computery things. But he didn't have that kind of charm and that kind of allure that kind of Ricardo Montalban had. They both had like, they were both very driven by passions and both very driven by loyalty. But I think you're missing that those two cans were uh, woken up in very different situations. One of them was uh, woken up by the Enterprise. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. Because in the original timeline, he would have met his wife on the Enterprise because he, they, when he's exiled, they say to your one, do you want to go with him? And she goes, yes, I want to go with him. And Khan turns around and goes, yes, because she is a superior human. And he falls in love with her and everything. And then she dies in the planet, blah, 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 revenge against Khan, whatever. And so, yeah, you're right. Khan that Khan happens and the wrath of Khan, he's been uh, awake now for a decade and he's had, or two decades, and he's had this whole experience on the planet. This Khan has been awoken by Admiral Marcus and has basically been slave labored into uh, and threatened into you do this for us or we're going I'm going to exterminate your people mm. and has been um, abused used and abused and exploited and is now on a mission of I need to get my people back I need to uh, rescue them and I also want vengeance on the people who have made me who have exploited me over that period of time. So they're very different cans. They're very different experiences. I think so. No, I actually think you're right. When you say it like that, that it's like without that, because he was woken up early in this movie, he is waking up from just being frozen in the 90s 
whatever you, you know so all of that experience is gone yeah yeah uh, yeah no that's fair enough i i actually think benedict cumberbatch delivered the performance really well really really well actually him and chris yeah. Pine were the were the standouts of the cast for me uh and when he when he was monologuing like benedict cumberbatch knows how to deliver a speech but i didn't think the character was very um three-dimensional like we knew that he had this group of 72 of his you know comrades and friends and stuff and he he, he wanted to save them but i never felt that i never felt he was sympathetic or three-dimensional i just felt he was a very strong terminator that was good at delivering a monologue he i didn't really feel get the impression that like he these were his family that he was like mourning for them that he really wanted them on an emotional level um, and I would say the same thing about the other guy the, the Starfleet captain that's going to blow up the Enterprise oh like he, almost like he treated it, he was talking about his people as his property kind of yeah and I would have thought I thought that if the so what's the, the commander Marcus he just suddenly turned out to be this like evil person who was willing to kill an entire ship of people i i thought it would have been more interesting had he been genuinely thinking he he was doing the he was doing the greater good by having to destroy these people and stuff and was trying to appeal to kirk look i know this is shitty but this is what we have to do so that it's not that he's pure evil he just thinks this is the he's utilitarian and it's the greater good as opposed to just like no, I'm just gonna have to blow you up, Kurt. That's yeah, no, you, yeah, you're right, and it's kind of like you've you've no sympathy or no emotional connection with him. He just is there is as like a plot device to a face to stick on Section Thirty One to make the plot move forward. Yeah, I, I thought it would have been way more mm. powerful had he been like this. I I didn't want you to know this because I um I know this is a terrible thing to do, and then had you had him be much more reluctant, feeling shitty about what he had to do. But knowing that it's the right thing to do, and and with Benedict Cumberbatch with Can, have him be a totally force of destruction, but also feel that like he was in pain. I just kind of felt he was a Terminator. Um. Okay. Firstly, disagree about Can because I think his whole motivation uh, was out of trying to protect his people. Uh, and trying to ensure their survival. His whole monologue was based on the fact, and his whole retribution against Marcus and the Federation was based on the fact that he felt that they were probably had been murdered because he had escaped. Um, his whole plan where he was discovered was trying to rescue them, not just himself. When uh, his whole motivation when he gets onto the, 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 the vengeance, the USS Vengeance, is to get his 72 crew men. He, he, it's not like he just blows up the Enterprise, forget them. He His whole motivation is to, is to get them on. He's negotiating with Spock and saying, this is how this is going to go. I'm just going to play it all out in my head here and tell you what, how it's going to go rather than us doing this dance. Uh, and do, when do, the, do you not think, though, there's an element that he believes that he is superior and all of his people are superior, so therefore he cannot be defeated by an enemy because that would mean that he is not superior. So he can't, his ego can't let it go because we know that he's just so driven that he can't let things go. He can't. Uh, No, 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 absolutely. He he can't. Absolutely. (laughs) But 
it's not as if he abandons his people. It, it, his whole motivation and his whole driving force is the protection of his people. And he he, he says, we're going to ex- I'm going to give you Kirk back, but I want my 72 crewmates. And when those explode, you can really see in his face, he's like, no, you know, now I'm going to... He thinks his whole race has been exterminated. I'm going to, I'm going to take this out on Starfleet. See, I think on, I, the, on the Marcus thing, though, um, again, totally disagree. Marcus, head of Starfleet, has recognised within this federation of planets that there's a new threat, which is the Klingons, who are a warrior race who he feels are going to attack the federation at some point in the future and sees it as a, as a real threat. He is exploiting Khan because of... Well, firstly, they say in the movie... We uh, start Starfleet aggressively started searching um, deep space because of the incidents in the first movie where Vulcan was destroyed, and they said, "Well, there are actually real threats out here. We need to find weapons. We need to find whatever." And because of that, he's gone a bit cracked, and he is now totally focused on protection of the Federation, their way of life, and is willing to do whatever it takes. And Enterprise and Kirk be damned to protect the Federation. And he sends Kirk and the Enterprise there to almost instigate a war with the Klingons because he knows now we're in a position, we have this vengeance, we have these advanced weapons. I want to instigate this war now when I have the advantage so we can destroy the Klingons. And he doesn't care if Kirk is, you know, the Enterprise. Yeah, I thought that was very skimmed over. I think that's much more interesting yeah it's kind of like if they it, like if they had to develop that a bit a bit more a little bit more because the implication was or the imp, yeah the implication i think was like for star trek nerds like us that was like ooh, it's section 31 uh, you know and they and that's it you know I, I, maybe i read between the lines i don't know <laughs> do you need to do we need to explain what section 31 is that's kind of that's that's the part of the film that i found kind of exciting actually the idea that they're because I, <clears throat> the politics of it all, and I, I, I was, I thought we were going to see the, Kling, uh, the Klingons again. They're really only in that one action scene. Oh, and actually, the politics of it. Just when you say that, the Federation were noticeably absent or any discussion of the Federation during this entire movie. Federation Council. It was all Starfleet. Is there a one world government in the future? Of well, the head of Starfleet. I don't know. Is that, well, the Federation. There's a see, the Federation, the Federation. The Federation is the name of the group. Yes. Starfleet is just the exploratory group that works with all the planets within the Federation. Yeah, but I, the thing is that in this movie, they kind of ignore... Because when we think of a Federation, we go prime directives and being honourable and da-da-da. This movie, there's a noticeable absence of reference to the Federation. I mean, it's a film, it's not a TV show, so they have to... There's um, only so much they can simplify. The Federation is the United Federation of Planets. So I guess the Federation is this group of planets who have signed up to treaties, I guess, mm-hmm. who all believe in the same thing. And Starfleet is sort of Earth's... Well, no, it's the Federation's exploratory wing. It's not Earth's. Well, but like, you know... Vulcan, I know it's, Vulcan, it's very Earth-centric. But Vulcan, for example, would be a member of the Federation, but would probably have its own fleet of ships that would go out and explore 
but Starfleet is kind of the Earth-based. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, no, I, I do. I know what you mean because when, when we think of like Federation ships, there's the Federation ships and Earth ships are kind of, I guess, interchangeable. Even though they've actually with Picard, they have changed that because of the new ships, like the that Picard is on in season one. That's an Earth ship. Well, that's not a part of Starfleet, though. That's I know, yeah, but it is a different design. And that will be the same as saying a Vulcan ship is a different well, sign. Well, I suppose like Starfleet will be Earth's. Are we getting? Where are we getting into like weird semantics? He's he's <laughs> yeah. just like dozing off, going like for Christ's <laughs> totally sake. It's like so. What's your favorite um, uh, battle star design of the uh, the model of the thing with the j- jiggly bob from Vulcan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... DNX I, model. I actually, one of the things I, I really liked was um, the. I, they actually don't mention it. I, it was only on IMDb. I, I looked earlier, but the the star the 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 uh, the starship that they uh, can create is called the USS Vengeance, and they, it's a dreadnought class starship. What I thought, which I thought was pretty cool. When uh, there's one scene in this where Spock contacts old Spock. Who also makes the Leonard Nimoy? Oh, he is the most manipulative, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he's, which is a bit ridiculous because old Spock starts by saying, "I've taken a vow not to tell you about the future." That being said, forget all that. I'm going to say, it reminds me of Simon Cowell when he's like, "You know, I really hate seeing people when people sing Sinatra." Apart from today, yeah, but again, the that's, solemn vow which I'm going to break right now because you need it. But again, um, that's one of those like that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those like weird flaws in the movie that I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they got him in anyway, and he says that Khan Noonien Singh, which is his full name, is the most vicious and dangerous person the Enterprise ever faced, which I'm not entirely sure is true. And that they defeated him at great cost, which again, Ratha Khan, great cost. I'm not entirely sure that's. Uh, what Spock died. die? Oh, yeah. oh, you gob shit! He's like, he's like, <laughs> he's like at great cost. What great cost? Well, I did fucking <laughs> well, okay. die. Thanks. Well, old Spock is there, and he's like, at great cost. What was the cost? I died. <laughs> well, you seem okay now. Oh yeah, well they brought me back. At great cost, one person on your ship died. I mean, that's. Mm. It was me. <laughs> I know. Well, I, you know, the needs of the many outweigh uh, yeah, the needs of the few. Uh, it's just he couldn't. It, it was he had to say something. Like, he couldn't have just been like, it, you know, at mediocre cost, and it was a, a mild inconvenience. But we were quite worried for a few minutes. Well, he could have said yes, we did eventually, and it was difficult. But like, I, 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 I won't when, lie. When I, I shed, a, I shed a tear. I did actually shed a tear when I saw him because I knew it was his last. Yeah. You know, he and he was died. like my hero. Yeah. But um, I really felt that when he said, like, I really felt Benedict Cumberbatch in the fight scenes really showed Khan, yes. Khan's viciousness and how, how yes. ruthless Because he, he really is like a machine. Yeah, and he has this evil look in his yeah. eyes where he's... He, like, but he he's so driven. Like, he's so driven and focused. And he is pretty much a mirror image of Kirk anyway. They're just ridiculously driven and focused. And there's even that kind of like little bit when they're like doing their little competitive thing when they jump out of the ship, like, I'm better than you, no, yeah, I'm better than yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But they're very, but they're, they're, they have the same type of personalities because they're just, 
driving to do driving themselves and driving themselves and Kirk was already taken up at the beginning of it by like you only get through this because of luck and you keep on making these like crazy like uh, drives of passion on your gut feeling and that's it but at the end of the day it's like Khan and Kirk are the same person I reckon and, and Kirk kind of like there's a whole this kind of theme throughout the movie where Kirk has been you know he's been given the enterprise he is reckless but seems to get away with it all yeah. the time and he's like i've never lost anybody under my command and all this kind of stuff and he's like and christopher pike's like that is blind look and then that's kind of later on in the movie we see him say i actually don't know what i meant to do here all i know is what i can do mm. and, it's a, and it's a gut feeling <laughs> I can't well done. Do. Um, and it's a gut feeling which actually I thought was like when I'm watching that I'm kind of like I think most a lot of people in, in their daily lives in their work and all this kind of stuff are probably like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here fake it till you make it yeah fake it till you make it imposter the syndrome way, kind of. the American way is fake it till you make it really so I think we've talked a lot, a lot about Kirk and Khan what about the other characters in this movie it just just uh, you mentioned the, the violence scene that, that Khan when he squishes your man's head I didn't think I thought that was a bit clumsy I thought that could have been better I get that they couldn't have blood because that would have made it R-rated, but I think that was a scene that could have... We needed to see some sort of violence. It was, it, beca- I, it became obvious that the film couldn't portray the violence scene the way the script wanted it. Because okay. if, if we see him squish a man's head, there's not a bit of blood on him or anywhere, and then we have Marcus's daughter, and I don't know if she's a great actress, because... That would have been like you know I'm thinking Cape Capshaw and Indiana Jones. That should have been a a proper Shelley Duvall scream, and I didn't think she delivered that. The only well. reason she the only the only I think the only, the only reason she was there was because it was Carol Marcus and Carol Marcus was in Rathacan, so they needed somebody to be that character, and we're like, oh, it's like we'll just stick the stick the same name on her. Well, I mean, like, she, she had she, a role, and I liked I liked that she. There's too many. Uh, there's too many plot devices rammed into the movie sorry hold on you just said something which clicked with me which I actually didn't realise Carol Marcus is Kirk's ex-wife yeah that never clicked with me how did you not get that no I didn't get in that in the movie in the original Ratha Khan yeah Carol Marcus is the one working on the Genesis program yeah oh for god's sake well I mean she was obviously a potential love interest for Kirk well, I think any, anything would have pulsed as a potential. <laughs> at the end of at the end of the movie, when they're when they're kind of going, oh, let's go into space for five years, and he's like, hey, Carol, great that you could be part of the family, and she's like, thanks, uh, Kirk, and then you don't see her again in Beyond or whatever. Oh, okay. But there's also this ridiculous TNA scene that's just there, so we see her, and she's like, stop looking at me. And that was a bit like a stupid and like exploitive and like ooh hoo hoo a man looking at a woman ooh hoo hoo when I've got my bra on it's like this yeah we're over we're over that kind of shit these days like for God's sake Steve Buscemi test where if you replace an actor with Steve Buscemi in a scene if it comes off as creepy well then it's not okay oh my god (laughs) so because he's like she's getting changed and he's looking at her and she's like stop we're meant to be like ooh look at those two. But if you replace that with Steve Buscemi, it's creepy, right? Therefore, it's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> poor Steve Buscemi is probably... No, poor Steve. Sorry, Steve, if you're listening. But, like, it, that's the thing. That, and it, it's true. And it works so many times. If you 
put Steve Buscemi in romantic scene in a film if it comes off as creepy it ain't okay who who broke the news to Steve Buscemi did you hear about your test if you're looking at somebody and it's creepy it's not okay even if it's Chris Hemsworth there's <laughs> another thing on Twitter a few years ago it became a thing to photoshop Steve Buscemi's eyes onto those of actors other actors and actresses so it was like Angelina Jolie with Steve Buscemi's eyes oh, and no. Jennifer Anderson yeah it didn't yeah Poor Steve, poor Steve. He's a very good actor. So Brian, you have some paper in front of you uh, highlighting some little technical mistakes that the film has made. Yeah, so... So, Hit hit, hit us. Well, the thing is, is that I like the movie. I think it's a good movie. But I cannot get over the amount of techno-babble bullshit in the movie. That is simply, like, it's bollocks if you look at star trek canon and star trek lore and star trek movies and all the tv shows as a whole yeah i get that like the transporter that is like yeah the tra- oh it's like oh i just transported myself from earth to chronos and i'm like you did what now it's yeah. like yeah they they can't do that in the 31st century yeah. so i wouldn't be worrying about like it just like no no that's yeah i did kind of notice that myself it's like he's 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 on this uh ship shooting the shit out of starfleet and uh, then transports himself from earth to a planet which by all accounts is in the beta quadrant it's in the beta quadrant so it's literally yeah uh yeah the klingon empire and the roman empire are actually in the beta quadrant at the border yeah at the border yeah, they could ne- they couldn't do that in in the next generation in the twenty fourth century. So that's a bit bollocks as well. Yeah. Um, fairness, this is set like in a different Star Trek universe, isn't it? Well, well, they do say so. Scotty comes in then and says, "Look, this is where he went, and they stole my trans warp. Tra- was it trans trans warp equation? Tra- yes, yeah. but that trans warp equation in the first movie was with." Uh, reference to being able to transport while at warp well in the first movie they transported from a planet to a starship which was traveling at warp yes which was probably still light years away yeah which didn't i don't know if that really made sense either i don't i like yeah because like, yeah because sense is it yeah but you see the thing is thing, is that spock says oh but it's your equation anyway you came up with yeah. it so if he came up with it anyway within the prime timeline then it would exist but it doesn't. It doesn't in the twenty fourth century. Yeah. No. Now I think they can, they can transport when two ships are at warp quite close to each other. But I've never seen, and I and I think there are episodes where they're like, no, we can't transport over there because that's too mm. far away. Or there's like even an electrical storm is interfering with our transporter signal. Targeting all scanners. All that kind of shit. Yeah. Like. So yeah, it's a bit. Boxy. Yeah. That, that that's that's my first of uh, will i go through the list go, go next will i go and this is the thing it's like i do like the movie but like the, all of the technical flaws just sour me against it just gonna go through this list da, 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 death wish admiral 31 what about uh but what about tech technology technically once okay so he should never had got the enterprise <laughs> So what does that mean? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, Kirk should never have been promoted to captain oh, no. of, of the Enterprise. That was ridiculous. Yeah, he was fresh out of the academy in the first in the first um, yeah uh, movie. Went straight to captain and yeah. then over the admiral, who was like one of the great admirals of Admiralty. 
and just becomes captain of the Enterprise. Also, in this movie, uh, Scotty won't sign for the torpedoes, so Kirk essentially fires him, uh, accepts his regna- resignation, and then feckin' Anton Yelchin Chekhov over here, who's 18, oh, oh you're, you're my new chief now. You're, you're my new chief of engineering. You're my new There's chief no engineer. other engineers down there in engineering. Who might know, yeah, I know. Know a bit more. I, it's on my list. It's you. Yeah, it's on my list. <laughs> Uh, yeah then let me see so um, when they're talking about um, uh, the meeting at Starfleet headquarters you know in San Francisco when your man attacks uh, there's only about uh, there's only about 12 people there so that means there's only six ships in the region so there's only six ships within the entire region of the Federation and Starfleet headquarters that's bullshit I don't know is it you wouldn't have any kind of like defensive or patrolling yeah no that's bullshit well you might have like defensive capabilities but like starships i guess because they're all exploring space and shit six ships well I don't uh, yeah okay a fair, in fairness i don't know how big a region is so they could be talking about star system or they could be talking about something okay um oh yeah uh when pike dies spock bonds with him it is offensive for Vulcans to bond with people without their permission. It is considered a um, sexual assault. Or a mindfuck. Yeah. Uh, I can get that. Uh, although... I think he may have been trying to relieve his pain. Yeah, I think I... that would be an explanation. But he says later on... He experienced it. Yeah. But I kind of feel in that situation, in any situation, if you if, if a person was dying there in front of you, you would try and comfort them in any way you can. And the Vulcan, the best way to do that for a Vulcan is probably to mind out and try and... Relieve the pain. I, I think to relieve the pain. Impart a sense of calm on the person who has yeah. experienced all this fear. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why it is, but it... They should have explained it. But it's also it's it's also Vulcan tradition to mind melt with people who are on the brink of death to That's uh, only yes but that's only to do with Vulcans because that's their Katra. Because their Katra must be returned to Mount Sinai? It's not Sinai, but I know it's I know it is it is like that. It's like Mount Cersei? Yeah. yeah, but that is specifically a Katra thing to do with Vulcans. See, I you don't try and out nerd me on technical I know, shit. No, that's true. <laughs> but at the same time, the place is being shot up. He's about to die. He's a friend of his. So it's probably yeah. I mean, I I think that's what I think it is. He was just thing. trying to kind yeah. of like you know uh, calm him. It also could be kind of uh, a plot device. No. It's, oh, you know what it is. It is. It's a, is. It's a plot device. It's a morbid interest. It's like okay, this person here is dying in front of me. I wonder what he's feeling right now. Oh, that's not very pleasant. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, yeah, no, I do. I think I do. And I know what you mean. It's like, you know, staring at a train wreck. Because remember, in one of the first scenes, Spock feels he's about to die. And he chose not to feel. Yes. And now he has the opportunity oh, to feel. That makes sense. What a human feels before they die. Yes. You know what? That actually makes sense now. Yeah, I withdraw that Bam! flaw. I withdraw that flaw. You know, you can make a point... And not say boom after you've made it. <laughs> I can never do that. I always have to say boom. <laughs> I have to say boom when people agree with me, you see. Or do it in work. <laughs> uh, I say something and then if somebody doesn't argue and says, oh, that's a good point, I'm like, boom. <laughs> 
Yeah. So again, so the next one was like the um, you know the transporters thing. So that was ma- that was my major bullshit one. Next one is to uh, so they got to Kronos in about ten minutes um, across an entire That's, quadrant yeah. without being detected at all. That's bullshit. It was bullshit because um, okay, so they get to Kronos. That's fine. It's it's on the way back. On the way back. Yes, the way back is even quicker. They go and like they just three happen. Seconds, yeah, and then they're at the moon. Yeah, and they just happen to fall out of warp at the moon. Yeah, yeah that that's actually uh, the next one. Also, another bullshit. Just to just to elaborate on that, um, Khan gives Kirk the coordinates behind Jupiter of this space dock or whatever that they're building this the, but, ship yeah this yeah now you'd think in the 23rd century that putting it behind jupiter is not all that inconspicuous yeah i think somebody would notice that yeah. you know i actually i was looking at that and i kind of went will i put that in or not but given it is like section 31 and they had already hidden stu- um their missile facilities in the archives in london they could possibly have gotten away with saying it's another type of facility, Maybe. but Scotty would know. Yeah, if it was an a, like a facility, like Scotty would know if it's like Utopia Planitia shipyard. I kind or of feel in a in a, in a in a in a an era of time where we're traveling light years across space that you could hiding it up your arse a would few have been a better kilometers option. away away is yeah. not very smart. Uh, hidden yeah you know no i'm totally not hearing paul asked me actually the other day um how long would it take light to get to jupiter and i said oh about an hour it was 40 minutes and you were like that takes a long time yeah it takes seven minutes Mm, to get here okay i will i'm gonna go very (laughs) i'm gonna go very quickly through my last few points because i literally uh this and this is only like half of like what i was like technical problems with this movie Spock is, or no, uh, Kirk is on the transporter, not transporter, on the phone, basically, to Scotty on Earth. Using yes, their... another good point. Using yeah. their, just like, handheld yeah. thingy-bobs with no possible detection and at that distance, yeah. Now, if you were using the Enterprise... You could probably say, you know, if you got on a communicator over the Enterprise, you would say, well, maybe because there are instances in using uh, using a secure a, a secure channel yeah. remotely. I mean, there's, there's instances yeah. in the next generation where they contact Deep Space Nine or whatever. Yeah, but um, but on his little flip phone or whatever, he's yeah. not he's not getting them that far away. No. Yeah. And how does he even know how to get to him? Like. He doesn't have a phone number. He does have a phone like, number. It's like one eight hundred Scotty, with his yeah. mate who's covered in warts. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Though the last one here, can not Indian. Can. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing I was in my last point. Can is not Indian. <laughs> Do you know who is? And that's my technical flaw. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure if he's Indian now. That probably shouldn't say that. But do you know? Uh, I want to talk about Scotty for a bit because I I think Scotty I think Simon Pegg plays him quite well. And firstly, you know the little friend that he has that doesn't really speak. <laughs> yeah. He refers to him as like a little oyster. He's actually the, the actor that played that character is actually the same actor that plays the Oompa Loompas in the new uh, oh. uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movies. And he pops up in various things. Anyway, I think uh, the scene where Scotty is refusing to approve the missiles to come onto the Enterprise is a very good scene. 
where he because he's a bit erratic Scotty and he's a bit kind of shouty and he's a bit you know he's, yeah. he's a bit, he, everything's a problem and everything's an issue and all this kind of stuff but actually in this instance he has a serious issue with allowing the torpedoes onto the Enterprise and he stands up for that and he says you will have to re- accept my resignation in order to get these on the ship and he and, and he just goes yeah and he goes yeah fine yeah I, I don't know if I agree that Simon Pegg played it amazingly I thought he was a little bit hammy he was fine but I didn't love the performance I think he is a bit hammy in the series and I think the character of Scotty is trying to be a bit of a comic relief but in that particular scene yeah yeah it was well written yeah 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 um, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think they do they do play him up as a comic comic relief which is a bit weird because it's kind of like saying, oh, here's the person with the funny accent. Well, I don't know, because, I mean, even Scotty in the in the old movies, you know, when he's uh, in the... the oh, with the mouse. The voyage home. Yeah, and he's like, hello, computer. Like, hello, computer. And they're like, that's a mouse. How, how and he's do like, we know he didn't invent the bloody thing? Yeah. <laughs> no. So he is a bit of a... Con- a, a Smart arts, yeah. yeah he's not an agent, though. No, he's very confident. So I don't know if they're making fun of him. I think he just is a kind of a quirky character. I think he's trying to play up this kind of angry Scotsman kind of persona. But actually, when you look at him and you look at the issue that he has with the torpedoes, it's a very valid issue. When the, the scene that he plays where Kirk is dying in this movie mm. is a very heartfelt scene. He's not got any of that kind of stuff about him. He's, he's, he's very upset. You'll flood the whole compartment with radiation. You can't do that. All that kind of stuff. So I think Simon Pegg actually plays him. Very well. Very well. Yeah. And actually that scene, I think that scene is kind of genius. The way that they flipped who died and who went and saved it. I that, that I think that is like a kind of genius scene. It's, I think it's it was good. Excellent. I think it was a bit cheap though. And I think, I think that was an issue that I had with this movie. That it was a bit of a cheap do you think they flipped roles they were like oh well what did they do in the original movie and now just everything like we'll just flip everything over to somebody else because that's what I kind of feel they did it in the original film they were brave enough to kill Spock and I know they brought him back in the next film but but was that not contractual problems was there not a contractual problem that's neither here nor there in that film they killed off the character and therefore when that film ends Spock is dead yeah in this one, you're looking at there's another twenty minutes left. He'll be yeah, back. This is the second film in a pretty successful franchise. They are on their whole keeping Kirk dead, and I found that whole scene. Oh, that I found that scene just like he was. He went to something in the middle of the. Sh- they were just Scotty was show throwing that techno babble about we can't do it. We're all gonna die. He's like no. He runs in. He just starts kicking this thing, kicking it, kicking it. Smashy, smashy. Oh, and, um, I, did, I thought that was boring. I didn't enjoy that. It's the I kind of like that. Think, I liked it. You see, I think, um, like, earlier on in the movie, he said, you know what this is? This is a nuclear reactor disaster waiting to happen. And in that scene, he said, what he says is the housings are misaligned. So the ener- like, there's these things where an energy beam essentially goes through them and they're misaligned, so the ship won't function without that. Uh, and then Kirk goes in to try and realign them. So I don't, I didn't mind that. I thought that made sense. I, I, I think so as well. Like yeah. A lot of techno babble. Yeah. But, but it's funny that I would be like, yeah, no, that's totally legitimate tech from Star Trek. But you're like, that's bollocks. 
Whereas I'm looking, <laughs> whereas I'm bollocks, looking at I'm other, just... no, but whereas I'm looking at other stuff that they did and going, no, that's bollocks. I'm not looking at going bollocks. I, I, I suppose I'm just. I, I suppose at this point of the film, it was all smashy, smashy. We're gonna die. I know you're not gonna die. I know the ship's not gonna. Everyone's gonna die, and then it isn't. And then he, and I, I, I was kind of going. They're clearly going to bring him back. But I, to be fair, I didn't know how. But it was so obvious that he wasn't actually dead that I was, I was like, is this a bit cheap? But whatever, it was fine. Yeah, the whole Tribble thing and the immortal blood from Khan was like. Okay, again, another str- massive stretch. In fairness, they did actually establish that earlier on because he shows he gives it to a little a girl. Yeah, there was a setup and payoff there. Um, I do think Chris Pine is is. I think he's such a good. I think he's a great leading man. Uh, I think I actually prefer him to Shatner. Ooh, I mean, controversial. Granted, I've um, I've only watched Shatner in like two or three films, but I find there's something vaguely smarmy about Shatner. That I don't get with Chris Pine. I think Chris Pine gets the cheeky chappy a bit better. I don't know if I think uh, Kirk was smarmy, but I would. Kirk, s- Shatner. Or Shatner. But I do. But think he's arrogant. And that was always the thing. He's arrogant. What I actually appreciate about Chris Pine is, is that Shatner has a very. Shatner was Kirk. Shatner has a very particular style of acting. And it would have been so easy to caricature. Shatner in that role which Carl Urban did to an extent with McCoy yes but Chris Pine made the role his own I think yeah. as did Simon Pegg as did uh, Zoe what's her name Zoe Dal- Zoe Zal Donnell Zoe so Zal-Donnell. well uh, uh, we haven't talked about Spock so Zachary Zal-Donnell. Quinto I found him a little bit overly agitated as Spock. I find him, I find Zachary Quinto's Spock is a lot more emotional. Yes. Than Leonard Nimoy's yeah. Spock. And he seems to get a lot more visibly agitated. Again, that's just, it is just a different take. I mean, we literally just praised Chris Pine for doing a different take. Slightly the, the, different the, though, because they're both mm, in the movie. But the, well, the damage of Vulcan, which he doesn't yes. message it, would explain. And like what you said earlier about he's like trying to kind of like understand death because he nearly died, and then the girlfriend is like, Ooh, "You're going to die." And y- what you know, says is, I, I experienced this rush of emotion seeing my home planet die a thousandfold. And you know what? It builds to the end where he just loses it and fucking runs after Khan yeah, and just yeah. like, I'm literally just going to fucking I'm beat just the shit out of you. Kill him. Yeah. Um, in, he goes, he's the one who goes, Khan! <laughs> I know, it's funny. It, it, interesting, because everybody thinks um, in The Wrath of Khan, Kirk goes, Khan, when Spock dies. He doesn't. He goes, Khan, when he's actually transported onto this moon. Anyway. Oh, in the under, yeah, because he, he's in the is, underground yeah. because he has the um, the talky thing in his hand and yeah. he's like, and Khan goes, hello. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you thought we were gone. Oh, I just oh, beamed up your, everybody. I just beamed up your Genesis, yeah. Genesis device. Yeah. Beamed up Genesis, like Phil Collins just, Phil yeah. Collins was beamed onto a moon and brought it back to life. But in the original, Spock sacrifices himself and is very logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, all this kind of stuff. And, and Kirk is broken up about that. In this, obviously, Kirk sacrifices himself, but Spock in this universe has experienced 
the destruction of his planet, the obliteration of his people, and Kirk is his best friend, is one of the only probably people that he is friendly with, who is now also dead and can't deal with the emotion and can't deal with this overflowing emotion, which is also referenced throughout the movie where he's trying to not feel and he says, I'm failing at that right now. I can't, I'm failing at not feeling. Um, so I, I, th- I actually think it was very smart the way they the, the, the way they did it. I think the whole universe that they created, the whole the whole idea of we're not just going to create the old movies, recreate them, but we're going to change the timeline and then see how these characters would evolve through a different experience. I thought that was yeah. I think that's very good. In the first two movies, in the last movie, it doesn't really make any difference. And I think it's a bit bollocks. But the last movie is just disappointing because it could have been good, but it just didn't work. They like mm. in fairness, all the all the main characters have arcs, which is a lot of you can Not every film of this caliber can say that Kirk, uh, Kirk Spock, and and also I don't know if you'd say Uhura, but certainly Spock's relationship with Uhura has an arc. Well, that's pretty yeah. impressive for. for you know, popcorn action film to get good arcs. Zoe Saldana is nice to see her not wearing face paint. It took me years to realize that that was her in Avatar. <laughs> she's not a very f- fun actor. Like I never, she doesn't. She's she's good. Uh, I like her. I think she's a very good Gamora. But she always plays the. She never gets to be the the crazy one. Um, mm. But like, that's it. Is like it's a safe role. Yeah. If you play if you play the character safe, it doesn't matter. Doesn't she look a bit like Jade from Mortal Kombat? I was thinking that. Yes, actually, I think she'd be a good Jade if there was a Mortal Kombat movie. And, and Jade actually, she could play if there was a more. If yeah, I think she's kind of above Mortal Kombat to be honest. But if they did put Jade in Mortal Kombat, I think Jade she could play the role, and Jade is a bit more fun than any of these characters. Oh but, my god, I thought you were talking about that recent movie of Mortal Kombat. I was like, what are they on about? <laughs> well, we're saying that there, there was a recent Mortal and I think it did well, so there's going to be a sequel. But Jade, oh, it was good. It was entertaining. The character Jade wasn't in it, so if they were to remake, do a sequel, Zoe Saldana would be a, an interesting, if ambitious, cast. He's not going to be in that movie. No, no. I think Ahura, uh, though, in fairness, was never a very... Interesting developed character in this. Yeah. They never explored her enough in the original series. It, 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 in a way, it does feel a little bit like she was the token black person. It kind of was a bit tokenistic. It's like, oh, we have a message coming in from Starfleet. Uh, turn around. And then in one of the movies, they kind of sexualized her and gave her feathers and said, here, do a dance. Oh, do my God. Yeah, on Paradise Planet, when she's a lo- like trying to get into Cybox. She's also the gang. token female character. She's kind of taken two tokens, really. Yeah. But, well, the, although in some of the later movies, they had um, Sarek, not Sarek, uh, Savik. Savik. And who then was Lar- a white Laris. Vulcan, who was more of a character than her. And then they had yeah. Kim Cattrall, who was yeah. more of a character than she was. Yeah, they were, but they were kind of once off. Not one, I know, I know that, that that character was in more than one film, but it was played constantly by a different actor. But she wasn't part of the regular. Well, she wasn't part of the. the they, I believe, they had originally intended Savik to become part of the crew. Um, pin down an actress to play her. Yeah, and then for some reason, they, at the beginning of, well, once they left Genesis Planet, they went back, um, and the beginning of Voyage Home, 
she was in it and then they left her behind on Vulcan because in some of the like non-canon books when she was treating Spock for the pawn fire she had become pregnant and she was left behind also (laughs) yeah okay yeah also in the non-canon you know the way she cries a tear when Spock dies in Spock According to non-canon, she's half Romulan. She's half Romulan yeah, yeah, she's half Romulan, and it was always hidden. I think I think we mentioned that in the episode. I think um, the only other member of the crew we haven't mentioned so far is John Chow. He has a very short scene where he sits in the captain's chair and says, um, "We, it's I will obliterate you. We will obliterate you." It's a very Liam Neeson monologue. Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> Is that his literally only line in the well, movie? It's the only thing he does. Literally the only thing he does. I'm trying I to... Th- I, I'm trying to th- I don't think... Like he's, he's obviously on the ship and like when the Enterprise is falling to Earth he's like, ooh, the stabilizers and all that kind of stuff. But like, no. There's not... I mean, in fairness, it's there's not enough room. That was always the issue. I said this to you before. Like, there's... Uh, the only Star Trek film I felt I've seen so far that I felt had an equal distribution of roles was First Contact. Most of them are like, look, we're going to focus on uh, Data and Picard or Spock and Kirk. And I do think I do think they've swapped. I think the original it was always Kirk and Spock, and Bones was kind of like the third person. And I think mm. they've swapped that out for Ahura slash Scotty in the new cast and I think because Bond they, they definitely have more time in the new cast yeah, yeah. but um, but that's only because of the people they're interacting with because Uhuru is Uhuru is going now going out with Spock and Spock is the main one so she's going to get more airtime. well I think also they just want to give the, the, the biggest female character a bit more to do I think that's fair enough and that's just the way the story was written. Well, I mean, I think, honestly, though, Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Zaldano, uh, Simon Pegg and Anton Yelchin were the biggest actors. I mean, the, the guy, I can't even remember the guy who plays his, his name, but like he's not as big an actor. And they gave those, those guys the biggest parts. Right, but had they wanted to have uh, Sulu be a bigger character, they might have hired a bigger actor to play. Like, you know, they cast them. I imagine, they, I don't know what the distribution was in the first film but I imagine the script was written before they cast it it wasn't like oh we have Zoe Saldana that's where we have to raise Ahura I'd say they gave Ahura a bigger role in the first film so they were like right we have now an attractive role but you never but you never know what script rewrites and and that they may cut stuff oh so Zoe Saldana this is before Guardians certainly the first Star Trek was before Guardians Mm. it would have been just as Avatar was released she was an unknown for Avatar and uh, you couldn't see her face so I don't think and I'm trying to think, Chris Pine. I kind of think this was a big. They were well known, but I think this would have been, you know, the, a big. Uh, not, big break. I think this would have been. They would have all been kind of ingenues, and this would have been their certainly the, the. Which actually, from the last the last episode, we were talking about how Star Trek wasn't doesn't seem to be a platform for actors to go on to better bigger and better things you know you don't see a lot of star trek actors i think it's that's a sci-fi tv show problem in general it probably is but in this case because they went straight to movies they got like actors who were established probably not well established but it actually assisted their careers yes rather than stunted but that's i mean that's the way that 
TV used to go that TV actors are lower than film actors, but yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of like changed around now that it's like, okay, film actors can do TV and it's not like looking down because the script kind of things are better but that doesn't mean that TV actors can do movies (laughs) uh, the first Star Trek of this franchise is 2009 which is quite a bit there's quite a big gap between them and that was the same year Avatar came out so this was a big year for Zoe so she wasn't when she was cast in this she wasn't a a big star by any means mind you she probably filmed Avatar years ago I didn't think about it actually what you said about Zoe she's not an exciting actress because she plays the straight part I think she had some quite nice scenes not only in this movie but also in the first movie where she was a bit sassy and a bit quippy and a bit kind of funny where um, I'm thinking now specifically of a scene in the first movie where they're doing the Kobayashi Maru where um, <laughs> they've done it like five times and she's reciting this text that she has to recite and say we're coming up to this star system and it's the Kobe Rashi Maru and the, you know, the, the, the shields are down and all this kind of stuff. And she's kind of saying it in a way that's like, I've done this like 25 times. I'm not really that bothered. And I think she plays that quite well. She also sees Kirk in, in bed with her roommate and the whole thing there. It's quite funny. If I was her boss and she was like doing that, oh, it's the Kobe Rashi Maru, I'd be like, you're fired. What? They're supp- students. Yeah, but she is supposed to be part of like... She's not taking it seriously because Kirk has said, we're doing it again. And she's like, we've done fucking five times and we failed five times. I don't really fucking want to do it again. Oh, she's not in on it. Oh, because you know what? In the original Kobashi, Kobayashi Maru, when Savik does it, it's the rest of the Enterprise crew, but Savik is the captain. So everybody is in on it that she can't win except Savik. Okay. Sorry. Okay, we're going to move on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we've talked about all the cast. Uh, we talked a little bit about JJ Abrams, JJ Abrahams, and then we'll we'll wrap up then. Abrams. Abrams. But, you know. Abraham. Sorry, Abraham. Sorry. Excuse me. JJ. Uh, <laughs> God, JJ. There now. His teeth and lost. Yes. Oh. Yeah, he's got a very distinctive. Uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily. I can't. I find it hard to put my finger on why I see a through line between this and Lost. They're quite different in many ways, but I do see it. I don't know. Um, I, 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 yeah, I know what you mean, and I think it's to do with trying to have multiple levels of subplots going on with multiple people at the same time. My okay. My image of J.J. Abrams is more from a cinematography point of view, where yeah. he, he's very much solar flares. He's um, kind of camera angles which are kind of moving, and there's there's some really nice points in this movie, uh, and throughout the Star Trek movies, like for example when you see shots of the Enterprise outside the Enterprise in space, it's silent. No, that's actually a good point about the direction and that wonky sideways angle that appears so often in these movies because that really fucking bugs me. (laughs) That's why that is one of the reasons why Battlefield Earth got fucking slated it thing i think it's called the dutch shot where they film everything at a sideways angle he does tend to do that or it, it's it's not as like it's not necessarily sideways, but it, it, the camera is always kind of i think he's trying to it. indicate a lot of movement but yeah. it's just looking at a picture sideways and then it's the other way but the other side and then it's like 
I so, find it, I, I, I just I find it a little bit odd and actually it was only that you just mentioned it that I went oh my god yeah because in all of the movies it's like they do that bloody weird sideways he do, he like, shaky he thing he does things as well like when the Enterprise shoots off into warp like the camera goes into the trail of the the, the, the warp nacelles um, that, that's cute but as Star Trek tech nerd bullshit oh. In the first movie, um, the USS Kelvin gets destroyed beside a star. So there's a lot of solar flares. So I think J.J. Abrams, um, he has a very distinctive style in these movies. And generally, I think he, he, he likes the solar flare. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed his Star Wars films. I thought they were good. I know there was some controversy there, but I thought they were enjoyed. Them yeah, all. you know what? I don't see why everybody was giving out about it because it's, with Star Wars, nobody's ever going to be fucking happy. He's been criticised before, and I, this is kind of coming back to me now. He was criticised before for... He, he's not a plotter. He's a, There's two types of writing uh, writers, and I'm, I'm a plotter. I have everything mapped out before I do any writing. He's a... What Stephen King does, it's like a... Conceptualism. No, you just you basically just you, you just throw it all on the paper and, and it'll evolve naturally. Anyway, so with Lost, one of the big criticisms was he hadn't got a fucking clue how it was going to end when he was writing it, and he was and that that started to become evident as he was going on writing Lost that people were like, "Hang on, this train doesn't actually like you're you're, you're have this big mystery, but you actually haven't." set down where this is going to end and that, and there I didn't watch Lost by the end but apparently it was a big disappointment and in Star Wars he puts loads of hints as to Ray's parentage parent, par- parentage and stuff and then I think he admitted oh I, I didn't actually I didn't I don't know but when when the, when the Force Awakens was released mm. there wasn't a long game for Ray's heritage and, uh, and people were just felt like well, well what, what, why, why are you giving us these clues of you yourself that's kind of bad well writing. you see that's the thing with the second one because in the second one it was like oh yeah Ray yeah your parents are nobody whatever fuck it and again I, blew it up again I liked I thought that was clever but that's not him and then he went and was like oh no it's it's your granddaughter yeah but you see that's why I like the second one that it's like you know even a nobody could be somebody I mean, people have to come from somewhere. You don't have to be some, have to be some like from a royal lineage. My to... my issue would be originality with him. Like he he's, he seems to take like in in Star Trek the first two, um, he seems to be playing on what the fans like about yeah. what's gone beforehand, rather than. Developing, developing it on further. Now he does to a certain extent, but not. It's always on the back of what's gone before him. And I think similarly in Star Wars, particularly the last one, he's he, he brings back the Emperor. There's a whole bunch of lines referencing the old movies, and it's my issue with it was that it's it's almost the same story. It's almost the same old stuff. It hasn't progressed. I don't care about the Emperor anymore. To me, the Emperor was dead. Yeah, and that, I, I found that was like, that was just like a bit of a, like a, really? That's so, yeah. that's kind of weak. I, to like, be like, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, from straight from the get-go, the Emperor is back. And you're like, what the fuck? The, what, yeah, which I mean, one? I, I liked, I liked, okay, so... Han Solo and Leia had a child and then he's yeah, thinking about his I grandfather cried. and Darth Vader and he's thinking about all this stuff and he's gone to this dark side and all the rest of it but progress the story don't go back to 
Oh, and it was the emperor the whole time. Yeah, know, I know. Kind of yeah, stuff. that kind of annoys. Okay, well, I I don't have a thesis statement because <laughs> I think my thesis statement for the whole season is Star Trek. I admire, but I don't. But don't enjoy. No, not that I don't enjoy it, but it's like. It's a midweek TV movie for me. It's not a book it for a Saturday night. On the it's so not. It's it's not as philosophically deep as we would like to think it is. No, to, to be honest, I think Paul. Now, I think in fairness, you appreciate the politics of Star Trek. You appreciate the the science. I think you appreciate the um, the ethical dilemmas that arise in Star Trek that they deal with and the society reflections of society like we were talking about a horror in the first biracial or interracial kiss or whatever and you appreciate all that stuff it's just all the stuff in between with the mumbo jumbo and the phasers and the interferometric pulses and all that kind of stuff just doesn't interest you and you just like i, I can't be listening to all this kind of stuff yeah yeah i think that's fair i, I think i've never really been a huge fan of the next generation but I think those characters are really all very well written and acted, and I and I and I and I can imagine, you know, if I really wanted to, it was, you know, if I had the box set and lots of time, I can imagine enjoying it. But, but do you not think Captain Picard is like the best of people? Yeah, he's, great, he's, great. he's like the best. Well, I, of people. There are other sci-fi franchises that I find more interesting that that play with things more such as I'm, I'm reading the sequel to Ender's Game at the moment and I think I think that I find more interesting I think the Animorphs series which I've mentioned a few times I think that actually plays with ethics and warfare a bit more interestingly as well and I like the Planet of the Apes franchise as well I think is more I think I think I'd find that I'd more drawn to that so They'd be my sci-fi franchises I'd pick. See, it's weird, though, because I always look at, like, if I'm in a bad mood, I will look at a Star Trek TV show and I will feel so much better at the end. I got, like, I sat down, I prepared dinner this evening, and before uh, Paul collected you, I sat down and turned on, and I went down and I saw Star Trek The Next Generation, and I was like, oh, I wonder what episode, and I saw Yesterday's Enterprise, and I was like, oh, my God. That's my favorite episode. I'm going to watch it again. I know. It's well, such I'm, a good episode. It's Tasha Yar, Enterprise just C. It's so well thought out, and it's just so, and it and it interacts with the past of Star Trek. It interacts in the future. You see Tasha Yar coming back. There are, and Guinan's ability. We watched that like, like two months ago. You see, I, I love I the way you say again. that. I can watch it again and, and, I, and again and again. I could watch it again and again as well. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, Guinan's ability to perceive differences in yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, Perfect. It's, it's really good, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm going to put it above Star Trek uh, Rathacan. I'm going to put it up towards First Contact... I'm going to put it below First Contract. I'm going to say number nine. It's not above some like it hot. I'll put it above Iron Man. That's just down one from what you said. I can't put this above some like it hot. I think it's probably... I think it fits well beside Iron Man because it's kind of an action-y, smashy film. I think Iron Man... No, I think I think it's probably more... I much, much preferred Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark to any of the characters in this. But I think as a, as a whole, this probably does more. So yeah, I would put this number... 10 which is just one below what you said i said for star trek first contact i would watch that over and over again i wouldn't watch uh, something like it hot again i think the same is true for this movie but i will take number 10 because actually i thought you were going to say number 
37. <laughs> no, like, no I, I, I thought this was a fun film. Okay, so we're saying number 11. Well, we actually said number 10, but if you want to say... Here now, as the guest host, uh, can I have a look at this bloody list? Yeah, but you don't get to choose them. It's not that we're like, you can't choose this. That's just that you wouldn't have seen necessarily all these films. Oh so. my God, you have Harold and Maud as number one. That is so cute. Yeah, I think we, I actually think... If we watched Harold and Maude now, I think we'd give it a really good review, but we'd be like, eight. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a it's film that... It's almost untouchable in our listening. It's a film that is just like adorably, bizarrely cute. Yeah, no, it is great. But it it's not great. like, you know, different. It's, it's a different era when it was made. That if you tried to do it today, it just it's wouldn't just work. Very, I don't know. It's a very charming story, and it's very, it's very sad. It's very uplifting. It's just when you watch, it. like it was a movie that I hadn't watched before we did Silver Screamers, and when I did, I was just swept away. I actually watching. wouldn't mind watching it again. Actually, now I'm a bit afraid to watch it again because I built yeah, it up so yeah, much yeah. in my head. Um, so. Gordon. We're saying number 10. So, Star Trek Into Darkness, number 10 on our list. Star Trek has done incredibly well. I'm really exhausted with Star Trek. I'm just delighted for this to be finished, sorry. Uh, but it did very well. Like, that's inc- like, I'm, Jesus, uh, 15. My, my plan was to talk through these podcasts as long as possible. So, you would just give up and I would just rank them very highly. Uh, hang on. Eight is first contact. This is now ten. Into darkness. Fifteen, Rathacan, and then quite far down, twenty-seven is is star is Nemesis. Uh, okay, look. Uh, so our that Star Trek season, yeah, it was great, great. Yeah. What's your next? What's your next suggestion for a theme con? Well, I'm going to go back to uh, one that I chose a while back, uh, which was. Um, Best movie winners at the Oscars. Oh, okay, that's a nice, that's a nice one. Okay, I want film movie. Amadeus from 1984, Mozart. Yeah. Uh, also, why did you? Oh, okay, that's an, an interesting one. Why did you pick Amadeus? Cynthia Nixon is in Amadeus as a child. She? I believe so. That's why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking it because um, so I used to I used to do uh, piano as a kid uh, right the way up to grade seven, and I played a lot of Mozart pieces. So I just thought, yeah, I'll pick that one. Cool. Okay. Uh, I okay. So we've had quite a, the last couple of seasons have been kind of you know Star Trek actiony, and then we did the superhero, which was also very kind of action focused. Um, so you're going to, if we're doing best pictures, we're probably going into more serious films. And I also went with a serious theme. So uh, mine is true crime. So films based on true crime. Now I don't want it to be necessarily too morbid. Like it doesn't always have to be about serial killers and stuff. So I was thinking Hustlers would be a good one to put down. Did you have you seen Hustlers, Brian? I Jennifer Lopez. No, really I'm good. not really a fan of Jennifer oh my Lopez. God, no, 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 no. This is this is Jennifer Lopez as you've never seen her before. She's amazing. It's a film about loads. Of, we're not doing that. Don't have to pick that. By the way, it's a film about. Uh, it's a true story about a lot of uh, strippers uh, who began losing. Oh, they lost their jobs. Yes. So not yeah. lose their jobs. They just weren't making loads of money, and um, the power really changed, and and they were kind of ex- some of them were getting exploited way more. So they started drugging and stealing a shit ton of money from their. From their clients, I guess. Yeah, and uh, it's really good. And Jennifer Lopez is amazing. I don't like anything she's ever done apart from this and Anaconda. But anyway, but I just when I'm just bringing that up is because I, I don't have to always do like 
murder everyone's like goodfellas we do goodfellas but for this one we are going to do something pretty grim uh, i am picking uh monster which is a quite a dark film <laughs> uh, but Aileen Wernos yeah she won her Oscar for that so uh, lesbian serial killers or uh, prodigy Austrian pianists ooh <laughs> okay so heads you're going to go with heads heads I'm going to go with tails let's rub it rub it Paul wins. Um, so we're going with true crime movies okay. for our next season. <laughs> we're gonna have to be very serious. We can't be all like jovial, like lost or alien awareness. <laughs> oh my god, I am this like so be- serial right now. <laughs> it will be. This will be a bit more like a true crime podcast. It'll be a different format. Well, maybe we'll get different music. It won't be like do 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 do. It'll be like do 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 do. It'd be like Mister um, um, Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. And welcome to Silver Screamers. It'd be like the X was. Um, okay, cool. Okay, so um, we'll hopefully get that out soon. So, listen, Brian. Thanks. For thanks, being Brian. Legend. Thanks for thanks for coming Did on the podcast. Did you enjoy it? Uh, um, I loved every minute of it, and it'll be. Um, I'm actually considering. You know, yourself. No, so like I, I, I think rival podcast. No, I, like I think on my tombstone, I need to like put the address of this podcast, and then oh, it, like, yeah. you yeah, know, like sarcasm. Ooh, <laughs> oh, oh, no, do it. We want all the advertising. Like, yeah, get. and like, it'll be a bit weird because you can't like normally like go up and press a tombstone, and like the link will connect you to it, so it will look a little bit weird. But yeah, you know, shit happens. But as we said, this is. Uh, heavily edited podcast so <laughs> so don't worry so it's okay <laughs> just cut this out um, don't forget you can catch us on our website www.silver-screamers.com you can catch us on tw- twitter at silver screamers email us silver screamers at gmail.com on facebook silver screamers podcast instagram silver screamers podcast and you can catch us on itunes spotify soundcloud and the apple podcast app on your apple device tweet us like us comment on us keep it all nice and friendly and that's about it thanks guys see you later bye good night Good night.